why I would be introducing him. That's because some of you don't know Bill Tracy. Uh, Bill met his wife, Betty, while attending here at this church way back in the 80s, right? 84, yeah. It's been a while. Uh, he was youth minister at this church back in the day. But we also supported him. When I came on as a member of this church in 1999, we were supporting Bill as he established a church in Southern California. I think uh, Mark mentioned that on Sunday. He now works for the Sunset Church of Christ in Lubbock as a spiritual formation minister, leading the adult Bible classes there at adult spiritual formation. Bill has three wonderful children. Can you believe Bill has two grandchildren? He's that old. That's amazing to think about. What's really amazing is one of his children is about to get a doctorate degree. That is a really, really amazing, isn't that, Bill? It is to think that some such things could happen. So I look forward to hearing Bill because he always challenges us and encourages us. Bill? It's really good to be here tonight. I especially like coming here because when I come, everybody goes, man, you're old. Uh, <laughs> and I go, I am old, you know. I did get a compliment tonight. She goes, so, uh, who was probably said, you're a good looking old man. <laughs> And I'll, you know what? I'll take that. I'll take that, all right? I'll take that. My wife, for those of you who know it, uh, sends her greetings. Really what it is is everybody goes, is Betty here? <laughs> and it's like, we really don't care if you're here or not. <laughs> we just want Betty to be here. And no, she's not here. I do promise you I will bring her one year, okay? And so that'll be much better than whatever I'm going to do. Um. Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. We're going to be right there. And um, it's Exodus 32 through 34. Now I'm going to ask you to do something for me tonight. And, um, and I'm going to ask you to hang on. I'm going to ask you to hang on past the beginning. And the reason I'm going to ask you to hang on past the beginning is, is because I'm going to say some things that might offend you just a little bit. And... The elders are going, oh, no, he's here. No, it's not that type of thing. But I, I do want you to hang on with me. I want you to hang on because at the end, it'll all come around. But I want to tap into something and a feeling. I want to tap into a feeling tonight. And I want to tell you the feeling I want to tap into is this word right here. It's called disgusting. Disgusting is arousing revulsion or strong indignation. And I want to make this statement to you tonight. I want to tell you is that people are disgusting. And you're going, we thought he was so positive. <laughs> what happened to him in Lubbock? Well, it's Lubbock, okay? <laughs> but people are disgusting. And so if you don't believe that, let me give you some examples. Here's the first gentleman here. Ilya Sidroff, 26 years old. They arrested him in Moscow, and he's a part of what they call the Blue Whale Challenge. If you're not familiar with the Blue Whale Challenge, let me tell you what he does. This man right here, he, what he would do is he would troll out there on the Internet, for, and he had the latest group was 32 school children. And 32 school children, and what he would do is he would take them on a 50-day challenge. And the 50-day challenge was each day they were to do more and more to harm themselves all the way from cutting themselves, watching horror movies, to 
uh, not sleeping. And on day 50, he would ask them to go and kill themselves. They are attributing now over in Eastern Europe, specifically Russia, 130 deaths of school-aged children because of the blue whale challenge. Let me introduce you to somebody else, Michelle Carter. She's been in the news lately. Michelle Carter sent her boyfriend, a guy by the name of Roy Conrad Roy III, he, she sent him a barrage of text messages telling him to kill himself. And he got to the point where he decided he was going to do that, and he got in the truck and he filled it with carbon monoxide, and he realized that it was a mistake, and he got out. But she texted back or told him to get back in, and he got back in, and he killed himself. Now, I don't have a picture of this because this just happened just recently. If you think that's bad, then there's Cynthia Randolph. She's in the news lately. There's no picture here, so you just hang here with this. Cynthia Randolph is a Texas mom with a 16-month-old and a 2-year-old, and she wanted to punish her children, and she put them in a hot car, and they died while she was in the house smoking dope and taking a nap. People are disgusting. Now you're saying, Bill, but that's, that's awful self-righteous of you. How could you. How could you make that statement like that? I mean, don't you believe in the... And, and the reason I can make that statement is this, because I want to let you know tonight that I am disgusting. I'm serious. I am disgusting. I, I wish I was more selfless than I am selfish. I wish that... I could just say all my whole life was just riddled with this or had this personal holiness that I've never struggled with just without, with personal holiness in the deep, dark, secret parts of my life. I wish I, was, I wish I had a tighter rein on my tongue. I wish that I didn't get so angry so quickly sometimes. You see, because here's the thing is, I am disgusting. And I think if we were really honest and we were to tap into that, there's times when we looked in the mirror and here's what we said. I am disgusting. Why? Because here's the thing. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, as, G, as Paul describes our pre-Christian condition, he says words like this. He says, we were dead, we are gratifying our, our cravings of our sinful nature. In verse 3, he says, like the rest... We were by nature objects of wrath. And if you go to Colossians chapter 3, there's this idea of, in verse 5, it's this idea of putting to death. Putting to death these things in our lives. And it's this putting to death and making things alive. It's the taking off of the old and, and putting on the new. And that process sometimes is really disgusting. And I want to let you know something tonight. Out of Exodus chapter 32 through 34, I want you to know that Moses was disgusted with the people of Israel. Let's pick up our text in Exodus chapter 32. I want to let you know what's going on here in Exodus 32. We're going to sort of scope these, these three chapters. Exodus chapter 32, Moses is coming down from the mountain. Forty days, forty nights, he received the Ten Commandments. He's coming down the mountain. He's coming down the mountain with the tablets of God. He's coming down with God 
God wrote on these tablets the Ten Commandments, the start and the basis of the entire law. He's coming down, and, and all of a sudden, him and Joshua hear this loud noise in the camp. And Joshua goes, hey, it, it must be some sort of war party. You know, it must be some sort of party. And Moses goes, no, 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 no. That is the sound of defeat. That is not the sound of victory. He walks into the camp. He walks into the camp, and he's so disgusted with the people of Israel. And understand why he's so disgusted with the people. It was just yesterday. It was just yesterday that they saw God literally tear apart one of the, the strongest nations in the world, Egypt. God literally tore that nation apart with the ten plagues. Tore it apart. And it was all by God's hand, and Israel witnessed all of that firsthand. And they walk out into the desert, and no sooner do they turn around, and they're bowing down to this stinking golden calf. And I always like the story Aaron told of that. Do you get that? It's the funniest story in the whole world. He goes, you know, the people just brought me these gold earrings and all this stuff, and they threw it in the fire. Popped out this whole golden calf. It was magic. And, and Moses is so disgusted with them that he takes the actual handwriting of God and he throws it to the ground and it's destroyed. I want you to let you know on that day that God was disgusted. He was disgusted with those people. Notice what he says. I want to let you, this is really, really interesting, all right? Uh, look at uh, Exodus, I think it's uh, 32. Uh, look at verse uh, 7. <laughs> then the Lord God said to Moses, go down because, now watch, notice the personal pronouns there, your people. <laughs> Did you ever pick that up before? It's not like they're my people. God's always talking about my people. Here is your people. <laughs> okay. And watch this. He goes on. It's really good. God has a great sense of humor. All right. He says this, your people who you led out of Egypt. God's like, I have nothing to do with these people, man. <laughs> I want nothing to do with these people. He was disgusted with them. He was so disgusted with them because they were disgusting people. He says, Moses, here's what I want to do tonight. Move out of the way, and I'm going to kill them all. He says, it doesn't say that. It sure does. It says, I want to, I'm going to wipe out this entire nation. Get out of my way, Moses. You're the only person standing in the way. Get out of my way, because here's what I want to do tonight. I'm going to kill every last one of them. We'll raise up a people that are not stiff-necked. Get out of my way. I'm going to kill them. Moses says, hey, it'll look bad for your reputation, God. Literally, it says that. It does. This is going to look bad for you on your resume. This is not going to look good for you, and God relents. But here's what he says. He's so disgusted with them. He goes, I was going to go into the, I was going to lead you in, and I am not going to lead you anymore because I'll tell you what, you're going to get out there, and I might kill you all. I'm going to send an angel ahead. The people of Israel, they mourn. We're at the end of chapter 32 here where he says this. They're going to mourn, and they say, please, don't let it be. But I want to let you know is this. People are disgusted. I am disgusted. At times in our lives, all of us, you, have been disgusted. Moses felt disgust. God felt disgust. 
And then here, what old Doug Brown comes and tells me to preach on, praying for the city. See, that's the rub, isn't it? That's the rub, isn't it? That's, that's the thing that we got to figure out. Here's, here's the critical point. Here's the point of, that we got to turn is this. So how in the world am I going to have a heart for the city? How am I going to have a love for the city? And if I can't have a heart for the city or love for the city, how in the world am I going to pray for disgusting people? That's, that's the real issue, right? That's what, that's what you're all here. It's like this whole summer, we want to have a heart for this city, the city of San Antonio. We want to love this city. And tonight, my, my assignment was, we want to pray for these people. And the question is, how in the world do we pray for people that we're disgusted with? That's the question. How, how do I pray when I feel disgusted? And that's the issue. And that's why I'm so excited about the Word of God. I'm excited what the Word of God does with us in Exodus 32 through 34. Because it's in there we find how it goes. From going from disgust to a love for the people. Going from being disgusted by people to all the way to be able to say, I could... I, I'm not going to, I can not only can pray for these people, I must pray for these people. I love these people. I do have a heart for the city. I do. And so what we want to do is we want to develop that heart. What, how, do I, how do I go about doing it? And I want to let you know, and this is a beautiful passage, and I thank you for it. Exodus 32 through 34 leads us in this journey. So I'm going to ask you, after the shock of saying that we're all disgusting, hang with me here, all right? Hang with me in case you're there. Because at the end of this, I want to let you know something. God gives us the answer how to develop the heart so we could pray for the people of the city. It goes something like this. First off, we go, it's easy for God. I want to just tell you this. With God, you go, well, of course it's God. God, God just goes, okay, I'm going to do this. Because he's God, right? But I want to talk about Moses and me. I want to talk about Moses and you. And so what does this look like? Here's what it is. The first thing is, is that I want to let you know that when it comes to God, God is all in when it comes to people. God is all in when it comes to loving people. I want to read this passage to you. It's out of Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 5 through 7. It talks about God's relationship with Israel. If you want to go there real quickly, you can. Here's what it says. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. On the day I chose Israel, I swore with up, uplifted hand to do the descend, uh, hand to the descendants of the house of Jacob and reveal myself to them in Egypt. With uplifted hand, I said to them, I am the Lord your God. On that day, I swore that I would bring them out of Egypt into the land I have searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most beautiful of all lands. Now, did you get what that's saying there? You know how, you, imagine this court scene. And you walk into the court scene, and what's the first thing they do? You put your hand on the Bible, and you swear. And this is the image here out of Ezekiel chapter 20. It says, I swore, God swore, I swear, I swear I'm going to love this people. I swear that I'm all in when it comes to people. I swear I'm going to lead them to the land of milk and honey. I swear this by my name, I swear this. 
And it's impossible for what? God to lie. I swear I'm going to love this people. And that's what Israel was supposed to come for the whole world, right? Israel, why Israel? Well, Israel was just the nation God picked out so that when other nations would look at Israel, they go, so that's what it's like to be loved by God. That's what it's like to be loved by God. That, now, I want part of that. And so if I'm going to develop the heart and the passion, if I'm going to develop the spirit that allows me to pray for the city, then I have to understand when it comes to God, he's always in on people. Always in on people. Moses understood that God was all in when it came to the nation of Israel. And if I'm going to love and I'm going to have a heart and I'm going to pray for the people of this city, then I have to understand that when it comes to people, God is always all in. And here's the point. In spite of disappointment, in spite of sin, in spite of anger, God is the lover of people. God is always all in on people. And it doesn't matter what they do, it doesn't matter what they say, it doesn't matter how horrendous their acts are, or how horrendous my acts are, God is always in because he's the lover of people. At the end of the day, he's always the lover of people. And you ask, how in the world do we know that? It's the cross. The cross is the testimony of God to say for all time, forever and ever, all men, that God is always in. He's always in, for, he's always in on people. He is the lover of people. He will always be the lover of people, and it doesn't matter what they do, how far they fall, or what they say. He's always the lover of people. So when I look at people, maybe instead of looking at their disgusting things, like my disgusting things, maybe I need to look like this. God's all in on you. God's all in on you. He loves you. Yeah, but you don't understand, Bill. Here, you know, I've, I've done this and I've done that. I, I understand that. Listen, I get that. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. I, I got that. But I want you to know, in the midst of that, in the midst of your disgusting picture, let me just tell you this. God is all in on you. He's the lover of people. He will always be the lover of people. Number two is this. Let your relationship with God radiate your life. Now, I want to look. This is really something else. Turn to Exodus 33. Now, look at verses 7 through 11, okay? It goes something like this. Now, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. This is really cool. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp, and whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of the cloud would come down, God would come down. Now that's just cool, all right? And he would stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they stood and they worshipped, each at the entrance of his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Now you think that's the end. Now go over to chapter 34, all right, and look at verse 29. 
When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and this is because he's in the presence of the Lord, with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near, but Moses called to them. So Abraham and all the community came back, and he spoke to them. After the Israelites came near, he gave them the commands of the Lord. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. And you think, okay, that's it. He was spending time around God. That's what a wonderful story. I wish I could do that. Uh, watch, watch. 2 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians. Not, it's not the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Hang on here. It's going to get really, well, I hope it's already good. But here, here we go. Watch this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now look at this, verses 16 through 18. You think that's just some isolated story back in the Old Testament? Uh-uh. No, no, no. No. Paul is going to take that story out of Exodus chapter 32 and 34, and what he's going to do is he's going to rip that out, and he's going to come to the New Testament, and he's going to make a New Testament application for us. And it goes something like this. Verse 16. But when anyone, when anyone... But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now watch this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we with unveiled faces all reflect, radiate the, glory, the Lord's glory and are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Did you get it? Moses hung around with God in these unbelievable ways, unbelievable ways, and every time he did, he just radiated God. I mean, it just came off of his face, and he's going, well, that's Moses, that's not me. No, it is us. When we come to the Lord, the veil of whatever veil you were wearing, whether it was pride or arrogance, whether whatever sin you were bearing in your life, when you came to the Lord, that veil was taken away, and you look at God face to face through the Holy Spirit, and He looks into your life, and you look into His life, and after a while, here's what happens. You reflect, we reflect, we radiate the Spirit of the Lord. And if we are going to have a heart for this city, and we're going to love this city, and we're going to pray for this city, then what we have to be able to do is allow the Spirit of the Lord to radiate our lives. We're going to have to spend enough time with Him, and time with the Spirit as it works through our lives, to be able for people to look out at us and go, you know, there's just something really different about you. And you go, yeah, I know, I hung out with God this morning. <laughs> I hung out with God this morning. You know, you say it like that. Hung out with God this morning. What's different about you? Spirit radiation. Isn't that cool? Have you been radiated? Yes, I have by the Holy Spirit. All right. I mean, that's the whole point is this, right? That if I'm going to change, I've got to understand that God is all in on people. And the other one is, is that I've got to reflect the glory of the Lord. It has to radiate out of my life. How do I do that? I spend time. I have relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ and God himself. If I'm going to pray for the people of this city, I'm going to have to spend time with God. So the question is this. 
And it's not because we check boxes. That's, that's weak. That's weak. How is your time with God? How are you allowing the Holy Spirit to radiate your life? How is that? How's that going? I mean, this is not a, we're not going to divide up into groups like very often and not very often tonight. We're not going to do that, all right? So breathe, it's okay, all right? As a former youth minister, I would have you do that, all right? (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just asking a simple question. How's your time with God? Are you reflecting and radiating the Holy Spirit in your life? Number three, here's the cool one. Well, that was cool too. This is another cool one, all right? Catch God's glory whenever you can. Now, go back to Exodus chapter 33. Okay, now this is awesome. Okay, I, you know, I, I just think I... I want to do this someday, okay? Maybe God will have like a, we could do this in heaven. This would be just cool. Catch God's glory whenever you can. Go to 33.12. I think Moses is a little discouraged here, and, and thank God he was. Why? Because we all get discouraged. And so in chapter 33 and verse 12, this really cool thing happens. I, I mean, I, this is awesome, and I don't even understand it. I just think it's awesome. But I think Moses was a little discouraged about leading the people. And, and you can sort of pick that up. Look at verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me to lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor. Remember that this nation is your people. God. See, they're going back and forth, you know. <laughs> God's going, hey, these are your people. And Moses is going, no, uh, they are you people, God. All right, they're going back and forth, okay? But he's discouraged, all right? The Lord, the Lord, verse 14, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us, with, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with the people unless you go with us. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? You know he's discouraged because he just got through spending 40 days and 40 nights with God. Now watch this. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked. I am now pleased with you and I know you by name. In verse, in verse 18, and I love this Moses dude. All right, he is cool. He goes, show me your glory. You keep talking about this glory stuff. Show me your glory. And then God says, if I show you my glory, you're a dead man. He says that. Look. That's in the modern translation. You look at me and you're a dead man. He goes, but I'll compromise with you. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in the cleft of this rock. And you cannot see my face because you see my face and you're going to die. And he goes, what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to put my hand over you, and I'm going to let all my glory pass through you. Now, that would be something. So imagine, is this, okay? Moses in this cleft, this little cleft of the rock. And all of a sudden, God goes, boom. And, you know, God doesn't go, boom. It's a boom. Now, I mean, it's like heavy, heavyweight hand, all right? It's a heavyweight hand. It comes down, boom. And all of a sudden... 
God's glory. Imagine this, God's glory ripping through your body. And it rips all the way through his body. And at the end, he raises his head. And, God, and Moses sees the backside of God. And it's enough. Now, that is freaky weird. That is incredible. But there's a principle here is this. Moses had to catch the glory of God in order to lead the people, to pray for the people, to lead him. And we've got to catch the glory of God whenever we can, wherever we can today. Now, I'm not saying that we even though it would be cool, right? I'd pay to do this. Wouldn't it be cool to be able to do that? I'd love that, but we can't do that today. So here's the thing. Catch God's glory when you can. Let me tell you about some places you could catch God's glory. I'm going to let you know something. When my kids were born, I caught some glory. And when my grandkids were caught, were born, I caught a bunch more glory. Now, I don't know what that grandkid, that great-grand stuff, but they say it's even better, and I can't imagine that because I'm in heaven now, all right? <laughs> but I caught some glory there when I was a youth minister here from 84 to 91, way back when, when I had brown hair and I was a lot thinner. We would take the kids on wilderness trek, and we would climb to the 14,000-foot peaks in, in Colorado, and you'd look out, and all you would see is, other 14,000 foot peaks, and guess what? You caught some glory. Catch glory whenever you can. Last night I, I was watching the sunset at the DFW airport. Caught a little bit of glory that last night. Maybe it's the sunrise. Catch a little glory wherever you can. Why? It gives you hope to pray for the people. But I want to let you know the greatest place to catch God's glory the greatest place in the whole wide world to catch God's glory is when a person is transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. When a person is taken and they are baptized into Christ and they come out of that water and all of a sudden they begin to make decisions and steps that literally change their lives and you don't even recognize them anymore. Not even physically you recognize them anymore. I want to let you know that is the greatest glory on this earth that we'll ever experience until we see God's glory in heaven. And we... It won't be like Moses, because when we get to heaven, we're going to see him face to face. But until that time, let's catch glory whenever we can. Catch glory whenever we can, and catching glory whenever we can is this. You see a person transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. When you're transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, you're catching glory whenever you can. And finally is this. The fourth thing is this. It's interesting that we're given, it's this, it's Exodus 34 about the new tablets. God takes broken and makes it new. Isn't that interesting? You're going, well, it's just a bunch of tablets. No, 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 you don't understand. The tablets symbolize what God does all the time. The tablets symbolize what God is all about, and that is this. He takes us from the broken nature of sin, and He takes our broken lives, and He makes something new about that. And that's the promise, right, out of Romans chapter 8, and verse 28? All what? All things work together for the good. How? I don't understand this. I don't understand. How, how can this be good, God? I don't know this. 
Have you been called and do you love God? Yes, I do. Okay, I'm going to tell you something right now. The God who takes broken stuff is going to make new stuff. So in the midst of our disgust for the people of this city, and in the midst of the disgust of our, even our own lives, here's the beautiful thing that we need to recognize is this. God takes, he's in the business of taking broken stuff, and he makes it brand new, better. So tonight, developing a heart, developing a love, and developing a prayer life for this city comes when this, when I understand that God is all in, that he is the lover of people of all time. Number two is this, that I let God, God's glo- that I let God radiate out of my life. Number three is this, I catch God's glory whenever I can. And number four is this, that I serve a living God who takes broken things and he makes it new. Amen? Let's try that one more. more. Amen? Amen. That's right. So let's pray for the city. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, tonight we pray for the city of San Antonio. We pray for its brokenness. We pray for its disgust. We pray for its ugliness. We pray for the harm. We pray for the evil. We pray that God, that Father, we will, we will be the difference. That we will be a transformed people. We will be a people that catches your glory. We'll be a people that radiates. We're a people that understands that you are the lover of all people. And we we're a people that makes things new. And so, Father, that's what we want to do with San Antonio, Texas, Father. And we want to first acknowledge tonight that we were all of that and more. And we want to thank you tonight for making us new, for creating within us a heart and a passion to serve you and to love you. We're thankful that you have our, your spirit inside of us. We're grateful that you are the lover of us. And we just want to say thank you for that. So, Father, help us to reflect that in everything we say, in everything we do. And, Father, help us to develop a prayer life, a prayer heart, a prayer spirit for the city of San Antonio. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.